I've always liked, you know, the American West, cowboys and all that. That's author and historian Bill Bettinson. So I grew up hearing stories about Butch Cassidy. Unlike the many people who like stories about outlaws in the American West, his connection to Butch Cassidy runs deeper than just being interested. My great-grandmother was Butch's younger sister. In the 1960s, new, sometimes Utah resident Robert Redford was gearing up for a new movie, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, which would go on to win multiple Oscars. Redford was able to convince uh, George Roy Hill, the director, to to do the movie in southern Utah. And once it kind of got going, well, they then they started hearing stories. Well, there's if you talk to Butch's sister, she's still alive. She's over at Circleville. Robert Redford showed up in the tiny Utah town of Circleville at the house of Bill's great-grandmother, Lula Bettinson. Redford met with Lula. You know, this is a little old lady from Circleville, Utah, that spent her whole life in a little Utah town. And so this was pretty exciting for her. And they kind of hit it off. Lula had been a staunch Democrat her whole life, and, and Redford's a Democrat. So they kind of had similar politics in that. She knitted like little blankets for his kids, you know, because he had little kids at the time. And he actually gave her a tape recorder to record some of her memories and that. Anyway, they flew her out to uh, New York. They stayed at a fancy hotel and they had the premiere at uh, George Roy Hill, I think where his alma mater was. They were trying to get Lula to endorse the film. She saw it numerous times, eight or nine times in her life. She said that it really captured his personality, his, you know, his fun-loving nature and, you know, how he was charismatic with people and whatnot. It all sounds like a great story of Lula getting to see her famous relative immortalized, but she did have one concern about the accuracy of the film. She didn't believe in the ending where they were killed. I mean, that's, she said, if, if I truly believe that's what happened to my brother, I wouldn't have been able to watch it more than one time. And Lula was adamant that at least Butch came back and visited the family and and died here in the U.S., so that part of it we didn't agree with or like. On this episode of That Doesn't Happen Every Day, in which we interview everyday people about things that don't normally happen every day, we look deeper into what happened to Butch Cassidy and explore the story about him possibly making it back to the United States. We go back to Bill Bettinson. You know, they need to make another movie. The younger generation, they don't even know who Butch Cassidy was, you know. Just in case you aren't familiar with Butch Cassidy, he was born Robert Leroy Parker into a big Mormon family in 1866 in southern Utah. Early on, he got involved with criminal activity across the Rocky Mountains from bank robberies and train robberies and wrestling. One of Bill Bettinson's books, Butch Cassidy, The Wyoming Years, pinpoints Cassidy as having stayed at the Occidental Hotel in Buffalo, Wyoming, which you can still book rooms in. Cassidy even served a prison sentence in Laramie, Wyoming, at the Territorial Prison, which you can also still visit. In fact, Cassidy's mugshot from his stay there is the icon for today's show. However, they're not sure which cell or cells were his at the prison. They would rotate the prisoners from different cells every so many weeks to discourage probably escape attempts and that, you know, if you figure out him being there 18 months and they move him around every six weeks, he could have been in, you know, a number of cells and that. I asked Bill why Butch Cassidy gets so much attention. Yeah, I think the alert to Butch is he was kind of the good, bad guy. He wasn't a sociopath. He wasn't a killer. You know, he helped people out. And I don't think he was an angel. I mean, he 
he was an outlaw, but I think his upbringing was different than, than most outlaws. I mean, he didn't come from a broken family, he came from a good loving family of good parents. And his mother was active in the church and tried to teach him to be a good Christian. And unlike Billy, the kid and Jesse James, who were confirmed to have killed many people and sometimes rumored to have killed even more, all the sources I could find say there is no firm evidence of Butch Cassidy ever even shooting anybody. He liked people. I don't think he was into murder and killing. An online article from PBS even said that one of his wanted posters described him as cheery and affable. When he planned robberies, he planned them to be executed so people weren't hurt and that. Cassidy was also known for being smart. One common tactic he used to successfully escape after robberies was staging horses at intervals so that every 10 miles or so he'd have fresh horses, one fleeing posses, or the private detectives known as Pinkertons. The posse's not going to have that advantage, so their horses are going to get spent, especially after a couple sets of relays. They're, they're long gone. Some people have pointed out that during robberies, he didn't take money or jewelry from customers or workers in banks or passengers on the trains he held up. Uh, he was after the big corporate money. He wasn't, you know, he felt like the railroads and banks could afford to lose money because they had taken advantage of the small ranchers and that. So how did this guy from a small town in Utah end up in South America? You know, they were being pounded by the Pinkertons and whatnot. So they decided at some point around the turn of the century, Butch did, that he was going to go to the other side of the world and start over. And apparently the National Geographic was running articles about Argentina. It was kind of the land of opportunity. There was a lot of people from the U.S. and whatnot going down. At some point he had made that decision and uh, established the ranch at the base of the Andes. Pinkerton agents had been monitoring the mail of Butch and Sundance's known contacts back in the U.S. and were eventually able to discover where they were from mail going to Sundance's sister. An agent notified the banks and railroads and said, you know, we found these notorious outlaws. And of course, the banks and railroads were like, who cares? They're out of our hair. You know, we're glad they're gone. We're not going to spend another dime on them because we've lost so much. So the Pinkertons just notified local authorities and generated a bunch of wanted posters in Spanish and said, you know, if there's ever a robbery, these two notorious outlaws are probably responsible. So they lived in relative peace for about four years. And then there was a bank robbery in Rio Gallegos, which was about 700 miles away from their ranch. They were tipped off that they were coming to arrest them for this robbery. And so they sold off the ranch possessions and escaped into Chile and then went uh, over time farther north to southern Bolivia. In uh, November 1908, there was a payroll robbery for a tin mine. A day or two after the robbery, two outlaws were in the small town, San Vicente, and there was a gun battle and the two were killed. An expat working as a mining engineer in South America named Percy Siebert had become friends with Butch and Sundance during their time there. Percy's the one that supposedly identified the dead bodies as Butch and Sundance, but he never actually went and uh, identified the bodies in person. He just told the reporters that that's likely these two. And so they were buried as unknowns. They didn't know who they were for sure, but the, there were stories that it was that it was Butch and Sundance. So that's just kind of how, how it was left. 
even the Pinkertons weren't sure what happened to him. It seems like whenever someone famous dies from Elvis to Billy the Kid, there are always people who insist that they're still alive. And of course, there's always someone who shows up claiming to be them, not just as impersonators, but the actual person. So when I heard stories of Butch Cassidy not dying, I thought the same social phenomenon was in play. There was a Nova special they did in the early 90s where they went to San Vicente and exhumed the graves of the two outlaws and did DNA testing against known family DNA for the Sundance family and for for Butch's family. And it came back negative that it wasn't either one of them. People who still believe that Butch and Sundance were killed there insist the wrong bodies were exhumed from the cemetery. They were 99% sure they had the correct bodies because the story was that uh, they were wounded and in the night Butch had shot the taller outlaw who would have been Sundance in the forehead and then shot himself in the temple. And the skeletal remains that they were able to exhume matched that story. One had uh, wounds in the forehead, one had wounds in the temple, and it had lead tracing from a lead bullet. How many bodies should be in this small cemetery with bullet wounds in their skulls, ones that match the story of what supposedly happened to the outlaws? The theory of unearthing the bodies of two other men shot in the exact same way as the outlaws doesn't seem very likely. My my theory is is they they dug up the right graves. It just wasn't Butch and Sundance. It wasn't who they wanted it to be. So let's go back to that story of Butch Cassidy visiting his sister and other family members in Utah. Lula said in 1925 that Butch showed up to the family ranch outside of Circle Bell and then spent a couple of weeks with the family. In 1925, Butch Cassidy would have only been around 60 years old, so the possibility of him living at least that long is not out of the question. Their father, Maximilian, made, according to her, made a family pact. We're not going to talk about this. We're not going to, we're going to go along with the stories that he was killed, and we're not going to talk about him coming back because he's been chased his whole life. We want him to be left alone, and we'll just go along with the stories he was killed in South America. So that's kind of how it was for a long, long time. And then when Lula, she outlived all of her siblings. At that point, she was like, well, I'm going to write a book and talk about him now that my siblings are gone. I don't have to, you know, enough times passed. I don't have to keep any more secrets. So that's why she did it when she did. So Lula's book, Butch Cassidy, my brother, was published in 1975, and soon after she was featured on In Search Of with Leonard Nimoy, which I love, it's like the forerunner to Unsolved Mysteries, and a British TV show called Wicker's World. If you think that Lula might have been suffering from some kind of senility when her brother visited her back in 1925, you have to remember she was only in her 40s then, and in these programs taped in the 70s, she's still very sharp and aware of everything, even though she's in her 90s. It also should be mentioned that her late father and brothers also had met with Butch during that visit and were excited to see him again. I asked Bill why, if so many people were looking for Butch but thought he'd died in Bolivia, would he go back to the small community in Utah where everyone knew his name and face? He wanted to go back to see his friends and family and that, you know, that's makes sense to me that he'd want to go back and try and reconnect with his family. And, you know, after a while, that's kind of back 
only thing you have. It's also worth mentioning that Cassidy had fled to South America in 1901 when he was only 35. Perhaps after 24 years of not seeing his family, he felt ready and thought he might look different enough to not be recognized. Again, he was in his 60s by then. In one of the interviews Lula gives, she said how her father told Butch that with his talents, he could have been anything, but had made a wreck of his life. You think about the talents that he had with people, what he could have done with his life if he would have chose a different path. Lulo said he died in like 37. He would have been like, you know, 71, 72. Lulo didn't really want to uh, reveal where he was buried because she didn't want uh, a big monument and people kind of celebrating his life because he was an outlaw and he had broken his mother's heart, you know, that's the thing that I remember Lula talking about is Annie, the mother used to walk the fields of the ranch just in tears over her wayward sons, you know, the first two oldest sons, Butch and Dan, had both been in trouble. Lula passed away in 1980 at the age of 96. However, in the last decade of her life, given the Redford movie, her book, and the TV appearances, she wasn't lonely. So she would uh, get herself done up every morning because she didn't know who was going to be knocking on her door. Because Circleville is a small town, people who came through asking about Butch Cassidy were quickly pointed to his sister's house. He, she would get visitors from all over the world coming to visit her and that, you know. They've seen the movie and, oh, she kept a little ledger. I have the ledger of different people that came to visit and it's pretty pretty fun, you know. At the end of Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, Robert Redford and Paul Newman run with their revolvers drawn into the fire of the pursuing Bolivian army. And then the frame freezes amid the sounds of gunshots. I love that movie so much, and my guess is the film doesn't want to show the two outlaws dying because it wants their legend to live on. After working on this story, I think what they were trying to achieve with that ending has worked. I'd like to thank Bill Bettinson for being on the show today. His book, Butch Cassidy, The Wyoming Years, is linked in the description, along with a few of his other books. The TV shows and articles and other items I've mentioned are also linked in the description if you'd like to check them out. If you'd like to hear more episodes of the show, please do a search for That Doesn't Happen Every Day, and you can listen to all of the past shows completely for free. I hope to have a new episode to you in about two weeks. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.